This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hey there, Knicks fans. How you doing? It's your boy, Jonathan Macri, with you for another episode of the Knicks Film School podcast. Um, I uh, Before I say my little piece that I wanted to say about uh, Father's Day, I will first say hello to Jeremy Cohen, of course, uh, co-host for... Um, just all of the, all of the times that we have had to talk about this team. And I am honored to have him as a co-host. Jeremy, how are you? I'm great, John. How are you? Happy Father's Day. Thank you. Thank you very much. And I was, we were, so before we get to Nick's stuff, I'll I'll just say that I was, so I was talking to Jeremy before we started recording about how, you know, and we're not going to get into it, but just, you could look around with the news and other events that may have been happening this weekend. And it's just, it's so easy to get down in the dumps. Um, but then I woke up this morning and, you know, my daughter made me a little father's day card. And, um, I'm just, uh, I don't know. I want to say for, for anybody who's, who's listening that I am, I am appreciative of what the universe has, has given me. So I feel like, I don't know, maybe me saying it is my, uh, gonna hopefully keep it going. I don't. I don't know. I don't know what the purpose of me thanking the universe is, but I just feel the need to thank the universe today, and also to say Happy Father's Day. Although you're not going to be hearing this until Monday, um, a, a, a belated Happy Father's Day to all the dads out there. Um, I still think moms deserve about ninety-seven percent of the credit for anything that good, anything good that happens with rearing children or within the household or any any of those things. Um, Jeremy, do you, uh, I'll throw it to, even though you're not a dad yet, um, do you, having been raised by two parents who are still happily married, do, how much credit do you give your mom compared to your dad? Is it like, am I high with 97%? Are you a little lower? Where are you at? <laughs> oh man, that's, uh, that's tough to say. I mean, yeah, I, moms and dads, I think in, in a traditional relationship probably play a little bit more of a of an, of a role that isn't quite as equal. Um, it's tough to say. Yeah. You know, I, I feel bad putting a number to it. So I'll just say that I'm I'm really happy that we, we gave my mom a really great mother's day and I'm excited to, we actually, we celebrated because I'm not with them today. We celebrated father's day early, but, um, we had a good time and I'll, I'll call, but yeah, you know, I mean, it's, there's definitely, I, I see what you're saying in terms of a role between mothers and fathers and, and the same is for grandmothers and grandfathers. I'm unfortunate to not have any grandmothers left, but I do have both my grandfathers left and cool. it's, it's, but it's a very different situation because it's, it's, it's certainly less maternal for several reasons, but it just, the, the connection I had, especially with one of my grandmothers, uh, I simply just don't have that with my grandfather. So it's, um, it's it's just it's just different, you know. It's just different. No, it's it's different. It, it is different, and but I, I I guess the reason I wanted to say it like that, and I not only because I am very appreciative of my own mom, but um, like I think traditionally it was like, well, dads are the breadwinners; they're the ones that have to go out and earn a living, while mom gets to stay home with the kid. Hey, staying home with the kid is about a million fucking times harder than going to work every day. Um, and I I am, you know self-aware enough and honest enough to be able to say that. So, um, yes, happy father's day to all the dads out there, but, um, just, you know, we have it good. Let's all, let's all admit that to ourselves. Um, so we're going to talk, uh, on today's episode, mostly about the coaching news that came out this week. A lot of coaching news. Um, 
well, I shouldn't say coaching news, coaching interview news. Um, but before that, um, just want to very, very quickly touch on a piece that came out from David Aldridge and John Hollinger from The Athletic on Sunday morning. Um, there wasn't any really breaking news in it, although it did have the strongest um, uh, intimation uh, yet that Miami was making a very targeted – I think everybody figured they would be in on the Giannis sweepstakes a year from now. But this went even further than anything I've seen um, – it was. It's less like, oh, it's Miami. Of course, they're going to make a run. With it, it was very specific, saying that, um, and also Oladipo is named as another player that they would, I guess, try to, I don't know, team up with Antetokounmpo. Um, that's not what we're going to talk about, though, because I don't really give a fuck about the Heat. Um, I did want to though touch on it because the article made very clear that this upcoming off season for both players and teams. Um, is going to be one where people are going to kind of just try to keep all their chips and not make any big bets and um, or maybe big bets is the wrong word. Um, bets that could have long term ramifications and for teams, that obviously means not signing any long term contracts and for players, it means not locking yourselves. And I don't know if they exactly use this language, but the implication that I got was that, you know, players are going to be looking to sign one plus ones um, a lot more than they otherwise maybe would have and just try to re-enter the pool in 2021. Um, I wanted to just mention it because Jeremy, me and you have been talking about the fact that the tea leaves sure seem to be pointing to Leon Rose not, signing any long-term deals this summer one and two um you know the the chris paul thing obviously has been out there um and it this is just to me more evidence of the fact that that is less likely to happen um so it's just like if you needed any proof that the the knicks are not going to be going out and signing like fred van fleet or Christian Wood, I know we keep hearing reports that he has fans in the organization. That's fine. I just, I don't see them coming out of the summer with any deals that are longer than one year. Um, it's, that's, that's my read on the situation. Um, Jeremy, I'll throw it to you for your, your quick take. Yeah. You know, I always thought the Chris Paul trade idea was fantasy, especially because if Brock Aller is that talented, him taking on that much in salary, $41 million yeah. next year, $45 million the year after. It just seemed like an uncreative way for a guy who's incredibly adept at his job. You know, I, I agree. I think that the Knicks are probably going to look at more short-term options. I wouldn't be absolutely shocked if they also tried to throw in a team option. And I think that would make a lot of sense if a player is interested. Um, you know, take – I don't know if Davis Bertans, for example, would be interested in signing anything that's shorter than a year. But if the Knicks were to say, here's a huge overpay and here's second, here's a second year where worst case scenario, you hit the market, best case, you make this money anyway, then it works out. You know, I, I still think that uh, player options are also going to be prioritized because players are going to want to dictate their decisions more um, in terms of signing for the 2020, excuse me, the 2021, 2022 season. But I don't see that many teams giving out player options because there's so much up in the air and the article talked about how before it was uh, what I want to say $115 million. Yeah. And then that was pre Mori with Hong Kong and pre coronavirus. And we, we still don't know if the season is absolutely going to go through because of everything happening in Florida right now. Can I just so, say something real quick on that? Please um, to anybody who was like, of course the season's going to happen. Shut up, Jeremy. I got, listen, I, I'm I'm not at liberty to speak on it, but I, I do have a couple people that I keep in touch with that they they know about like what's going on in the league office. Um, man, if they don't feel that this is safe, and fuck my god, the numbers coming out of Florida are I don't what what word do you use to describe them? I mean, it, it's they're staggering. Um, they're also not, unsurprising. <laughs> well, that's 
I don't have the energy to or the alcohol present to get into that right now. Um, I I do think though, what's his name? DeSantis, Governor DeSantis. Yep, Ron the, DeSantis. The dude must be a Knicks fan because at heart, secretly, <laughs> because if if the season gets canceled. <laughs> Then, then you're talking about doomsday scenarios where, like, I don't care what capture canary they do, anybody that has the flexibility that the Knicks have, I can't see a world in which they don't benefit immensely. So, yeah, maybe he's a closeted Knicks fan uh, trying to get the season canceled with how he's restarted Florida. Anyway, we don't have to talk about that. But um, my point that I wanted to make was if you don't think there's a possibility they cancel the season and don't run it back, you're nuts because I think that's absolutely still on the table. They will not. They will not do this thing if they think it's going to be a shit show in terms of player safety. They just don't need it, especially with everything else going on, um, with players feeling very strongly that it may detract from attention given to protests. Um, sorry, I did. I cut you off with a long rant. I just wanted to throw that in there because I, I think it was an important point that you were making. Yeah, of course. And I mean, we, we've seen it with other sports in Florida. Um, the Tampa Bay Lightning, they closed their facility because a player tested positive. Yeah. The Blue Jays shut down their camp. The Yankees and the Mets said, we're not, we don't feel comfortable up here. We'd rather have spring training in New York now. So if other leagues are, are have teams that are uncomfortable playing there, and now you've got the best athletes in your game, 22 teams worth. And I, I tweeted about this. It's so absurd to me that everything is like, yeah, you know, we'll just bring 22 teams down here. But uh, hey, for those of you who are down here, you can't play doubles ping pong or you can play (laughs) cards, but you have to throw them away. And you also can't share snorkeling masks and you can't have caddies. It's just like it's so flawed to begin with everything about it, because it's it feels like it just takes one person to accidentally carry it. And before you know it, the league's best players are sick and we really don't know the long-term effects of this. And that's the thing. It's like Von Miller, I think said that he recovered maybe two to three weeks ago fully. And yet his lungs still feel like crap. And the Korean baseball league, the way it's operating is if one player gets sick, the league stops completely. Oh, I didn't even realize that. Okay. Yeah. But that hasn't happened yet because they've done a great job. But here in the NBA, (laughs) in Florida, here in the good old US of A, Basically, it's like if one player gets sick, it's okay. we'll quarantine him and everything else changes. And it's like, okay, well, you're telling me that if it's game seven of the NBA finals and LeBron James is is, you know, just feeling miserable because of coronavirus, he's going to be contained and isolated for a two week span, two week span and not going to play. No, he's just going to ignore it. And he'll say, no, my temperature is perfectly fine. I've always been one hundred and three degrees. I'm just that hot. And and he'll try to play. It's everything about this feels like just pure capitalism. And look, it's fine if that's the case to a degree. Um, I'm all for playing. I'm all for playing if it's safe for the players involved. It's, you know, it's their decision. It's their money. I respect whatever choice or choices that they want to make. Just everything about this, it feels like if you're, if you're going to have it in Florida, why not just move it? But then again, it's all Disney. It's all ESPN. It's why why Woe's painted Kyrie is such a disruptor because that directly impacts uh, the company line and Woj has to tow the company line, whereas uh, Shams doesn't have to worry about that nearly as much because the athletic is is very different in that capacity. So, it, again, it's always money. It's this this entire conversation is driven by money, um, but it should be driven by health. And it's just unfortunate or, or in this case, um, racial inequity, both even. So we'll see. It's the fallout's going to be catastrophic. No matter what, honestly, if they if they don't run it back and if they do and it goes poorly. Yeah, just the same. I mean, look, I commend the NBA. I know again, I know for a fact how many people they have working or have had working on all of the different um, like ways to make this as safe and just workable as possible for a very long time. Um but it's like, you know, Mike Tyson said it best. Everybody has a plan until you get punched in the face. Um, so and and they and there will be a punch in the face coming if again, if they even get to that point. And for all we know, um, they may not if if this if, if things keep going as they are. Um, OK, I, I was I was saying how I was depressed over the weekend and then I felt good early on Father's Day. And now I'm back to making myself depressed again. So let's make me happy again. Can we do that, Jeremy? Let's do it. Um, let's talk about some Nick coaching stuff. Um, before we get to the, well, I actually, okay. I was going to say 
Before we get to the names of the candidates that came out this week, let's talk about whether we think this is all for show and it's still Tibbs all the way, or if you're a believer that maybe Atkinson has more of it. But I don't even know if we could say that because I think the... I personally think the names of the people that have come out and where they come from, and that has two different meanings because we're talking about the teams that they come from on one hand, but we're also talking about who they're represented by. And as Mark Berman reported this week, there's a lot of CAA clients here. Um, I think it was three out of four, and I'm not sure about the the uh, Mosley, the most recent name. Um, anyway, we'll get back to that except, but I don't know if we're just looking at it on its face and looking at where these candidates are coming from. And because if if you made the argument that it is all for show and they are going to go with Tibbs, then theoretically, you would want your coaching search to be like it was two years ago, where we heard it was a lot of intel gathering. And to gather, to me at least, you gather the best intel by gathering it from many different sources. That doesn't appear to be what's going on here as we have very like a couple contained places it seems like these these folks are coming from um you know in addition to the fact that like you know like for instance they have a a, a mosley was announced yesterday spent four years on the Cavs staff guess what the knicks just hired a guy from the Cavs, so it's like they already have some of that intel from that's i i don't know if i'm thinking too far into this but that this is what's kind of going on in my mind before before I even get to thinking about the specific candidates, where are you at on if this is legit or you think this is for show? So the only thing I think is legit, at least definitively legit, is that the Knicks are so into the idea of player development. Because looking at Tom Thibodeau and all these other coaches, I mean, you could make an argument that, oh, well, Tibbs is a win-now guy. Sure, he has been. He has a track record of helping develop players he did a great job, a great job in Chicago. He did an okay job in Minnesota. It's, it's a little dicey just because it was a different setup. But you look at these other names and a lot of them are unfamiliar. And as a result, I do think that it's like, okay, well, you could say one of these is not like the other, but I don't, I don't agree with that. And I think that there is going to be a greater focus on internal development. Not everyone. I think some guys are going to be gone. But it's the sort of thing where you're, you're focusing on the ones you have in-house and then trying to maximize their value, and then you can always trade them. So the thing that really is interesting to me, though, is in, you said CAA. Um, I feel like if Tibbs does get hired for the job, a lot of people will believe that it's a sham, this whole process, and that it's basically Leon Rose propping up a lot of CAA clients to get their names in the running. So there's some, there's some positivity, there's some buzz, something about that. And I don't think that's necessarily wrong. But I'm very curious about some of the hirings, like, uh, or excuse me, like some of the interviews. Uh, Chris Fleming is one example where Fleming worked with the Bulls last year, but he also worked with Kenny Atkinson on the Nets before. So it could be that they're interviewing Fleming to get his name out there. But at the same time, they really want to learn about Kenny Atkinson and his offense. Um, you know, like uh, I think also Will Hardy is another example. He's supposed to be a very young up and coming coach. I wonder if Ime Odoka is a bigger candidate in their minds and they're bringing Will Hardy as a sign of respect. And I believe he is CAA. I, I could be mistaken, but I think he all, might be. All I know. And, and then and having. I, I tried to figure this out. Say, it's, uh, I just want to say three of the original, like out of Fleming, Delaney, Udoka and Hardy. Uh, Berman reported three of those four are CAA. I tried to do some digging. I looked at a few different corners i couldn't figure out which who was who but that's that's all we know as far as i could tell yeah i know that udoka is because of the berman article and he said at the time i think it was about there were eight coaches he said seven of the eight but he didn't clarify which one was the odd person out well we know woodson atkinson and tibbs are right exactly yeah um so you know i, I wouldn't be shocked if uh, because ian begley reported that interviews will sort of begin a little bit more in terms of in uh, first round uh, next week, or the, I guess this week, um, it would not shock me if the Knicks kind of go into the next round with four or five guys, Tibbs, Atkinson, uh, I think Mike Miller, just as a sign of respect, uh, Udoka, and then probably one other 
candidate, maybe Mosley in this case, and then they'll kind of pare it down from there. But, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, it could be Woodson. Who knows? Who knows? Right. But I think that there definitely is this desire to get as much intel, but also try to prop up these guys for the future. And, you know, I mean, you said it, the last coaching search, they, I think they interviewed 10 or 11 people. Um, but the, the problem is that they obviously went with the wrong guy. But it was case. a wider so, net last time. It was. That's yeah, my I know point. that they, they talked to Larenga, they talked to Borrego, they talked to a lot of other guys. It's, I'm fascinated by how focused they are on the Spurs and the Spurs coaching tree. And I think that's a great sign. And I don't know, man. I mean, the more I think about it, the more I personally am in favor of Udoka just because there's, there's so many underlying connections and I think it would, it would make a great deal of sense for him. And I'm, if need be, I'm happy to pitch why, but I'm just, because before I really liked Tibbs and I was, I was a little less on Atkinson, but I could, I could see it working, but I don't know. There's just, um, there's, I think there's an argument that can be made that maybe going with a, a rookie head coach, is a good idea as long as that's that person is a good candidate, right? Like um, the Knicks obviously went with Derek Fisher, but that turned out to be a terrible idea. But their first choice was Steve Kerr, who turned out to find himself in a great situation and is a great coach in his, in his own right. So maybe retreads are not exactly something the Knicks should be going for because, and, and I know you talked about this in your Becky Hammond article, where it was like, we've had, the Knicks have had great coaches coming in here and they failed miserably and they've had terrible coaches coming in here and they failed miserably. So yeah, I, I just, I like the fact that there are coaches that we don't know much about because it shows that they're doing work that the the superficial fan, and I don't mean that negatively, just, you know, like I would never have known that Mosley is a good candidate if not for the fact that he's being interviewed. Well, and a lot of fans are like that. So it's nice to hear that that guys that they know, and they've been doing this with Perrin, and they did this with Aller, and they did this with Zanin and other guys. So it's nice to know that their research is being done. It, the next part is hiring the right person, of course. I think there I I'm I'm like you and I think we are like a lot of fans in that there is a certain allure to a first time coach. But I think also, if we're being honest, a lot of that is a first time coach has never been fired. Right. And the grass is always greener because there is there is at least that possibility, right, that you found the guy or the gal, as we'll get to in a bit. Um, that is the next, you know, Phil Jackson or then I'm trying to think of like guys who stepped right into it and they were successful right away. I mean, Pat Riley. Um, well, although Pat Riley talks about how it was touch and go for him at first and that he could have been on the verge of getting fired if some things broke differently. Um, but by and large, he was, you know, successful right away, but like, you know, the, the very, the very best of the best, um, pop obviously comes to mind, but at the same time, like, look, Rick Carlisle is, would you argue that he's considered one of their very best coaches in the league today? One of the top four or five. Yeah. And he's in a second location and he's in a second location. Well, so yeah, he was. I should know this. I know he was the, the head Pacers. He was well, so he was on the head. He was the head guy at Detroit, um, and then was replaced by Larry Brown. Larry Brown went and That's took right. the Rick Carlisle's team uh, to a championship. Um, but I'm trying to remember if he was also the head man at um, if he was also the head man at Indiana at any point in time. And he was. Yes, I'm looking at it right now. He was also the head coach at Indiana for one, two, three, four seasons. And then got fired after a 35 and 47 record. So Dallas is actually his third stop. Wouldn't wow. you know it? <laughs> um, and he won a championship with the, the Mavs, obviously. And as, as I think what anybody would argue has been a successful run. So like it happens in different ways for different guys. Um, I don't know. I, I do think that there is more to this than something that they are doing for show. Um, just because the Spurs connections are so deep with uh, so many of these guys. Um, so let's actually, you want to just run through the candidates for those who don't know real quick. So we have, these are the people that are officially getting interviews. So we have um, Chris Fleming. He was announced pretty early on. Um, he started out as an assistant with um, 
he well, he was actually an assistant coach in the or he was a head coach in the German league for a long time, was very successful there. Then he was the head then he was an assistant coach with Kenny Atkinson. Um, but again, if you want to trace the lineage, Atkinson was a, an assistant under Budenholzer. Budenholzer was a long, a long time assistant under Pop. Um, and then Fleming was also with um, with Mike Malone in uh, Denver uh, for a while. Um, so that's him. Pat Delaney, um, who is kind of now kind of flown under the radar. He's the one guy who's kind of a little bit out of left field. He was an assistant to or has been an assistant with. Uh, Steve Clifford for a while in both uh, Orlando and before that, uh, Charlotte started out much like Fizdale as a video intern for the Miami Heat. Um, and there's a Fizdale connection there. Uh, Udoka, you mentioned, we'll talk about him some more. Spent seven years on the Spurs bench before leaving to go to Philly and be uh, an assistant for Brett Brown, also a pop disciple. Um, so again, keeping it in the Spurs lineage, uh, that was just last year. And then Will Hardy, Current Spurs assistant, um, he's getting an interview, and then um, Jamal 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 Mosley, um, who went from Denver uh, to Cleveland uh, to um, Dallas under Rick Carlisle. Um, by the way, how, did you catch uh, who shouted out Mosley on my Twitter feed yesterday? I did. Yeah. Good old George Carl, baby, up on up on Twitter at Saturday first thing Saturday morning. You love love to see it. Um, that was fun. You know, this is the elephant in the room. Uh, Becky Hammond, who may be getting an interview, um, according to Mark Berman, don't expect it. Um, let's talk about her for a second because I wrote a big piece about her. It went up yesterday on SI.com. Do you want Becky Hammond to get an interview? You know. Okay, so it's a very interesting discussion. And the reason I say interesting is that historically speaking, as an organization, the Knicks have been at the forefront of progressive progressivism. They've, they've been incredibly progressive. Um, John, did you know that the very first bucket scored in NBA history was not only by the Knicks, but was in fact by a Jew? I did know that, and I'm forgetting who it was at the moment. He was from Queens. His name also escapes me. That's okay. The very first Asian American player was a Nick. Um, And as we all know, the first time we're president of basketball operations, GM, head coach, all black. The Knicks have hired six black head coaches since 2004. So clearly diversity is something that's important. The one question I have is I, I did read your piece. And I'm looking at the candidates that we have here. And for starters, anyone who, in my opinion, serves with Greg Popovich is instantly a very intelligent person, right? Yeah. There's no doubt that he would waste his time hiring someone if he felt that it was trying to, you know, go just for gender. He cares about smart basketball minds. The one question that that I'm left with is what makes Becky Hammond, who, if we're being honest from a coaching perspective, has less experience than the player than the coaches you've listed. What makes her a better candidate than say like Mike Miller, who also comes from the Spurs system with the Toros, who has oh, coached in an NBA yeah. level or or Will Hardy, who's also on the bench with her, who's younger but has more experience from a coaching perspective. I, I guess I'm just trying to understand what makes her the best candidate in that perspective. I think no, I think it's a fair question and I think just generally speaking about hiring assistants to be a head coach, I think you never like there's only so much you can know, right? Um the two things that stand out for me in terms of three things actually that talk uh, in talking about Becky Hammond's candidacy. Um one, she's a point guard and I think tr- throughout NBA history there is I don't know if it's a true, if it's a true notion, but there's definitely the notion exists that point guards make the best head coaches because they think the game and they see the game a certain way. So there's that. Two, I found, uh, quite frankly, Pau Gasol's article about her two years ago to be extraordinarily compelling. And anybody who has not read yet, read that, um, Pau Gasol wrote an article on the Players Tribune two years ago, basically 
imploring a team to hire Becky Hammond as the head coach um, because he feels that she will be an excellent head coach in the NBA. Um, but three, and look, I'm not, I'm, I'm not going to stand on my soapbox for, for that long, but I, I, and I know it, it maybe it came off as kind of hokey in the way that I wrote it, but I do genuinely believe that women have to work. I don't know two, three, four, five times as hard in male-dominated professions to get to the same place that men do. Um, And the fact that Becky Hammond was the first woman um, to make it to an assistant coaching spot on an NBA team and on that NBA team, and the fact that like she is quite clearly universally respected within that organization. and again, if 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 you're universally respected within the Spurs, I mean, I think that has meaning. I, you know, she's shown she could be a head coach in summer league uh, a couple times, uh, one of which resulted in a in a Spurs win. I just that speaks to I I buy that that that's real to me. That's not a buzzword. That's not uh a, a, you know something to sell the idea. I genuinely believe. That by virtue of the fact that she is a woman and made it to this point, it makes her more qualified than any man. I, I'm sure I'm going to get pushed back on that. I, I, don't, I really don't give a shit. That's my belief. I also don't discredit anybody who says I think that's a load of nonsense. The Spurs hired her irrespective of whether she was a woman or not. And look past that. They're a forward thinking enough organization to be able to do that. And, you know, that's there's some there's some validity to that, too. But I just, you know. I know the world. The world is it's it's I know the way the world works. And if for her to make it to this point, she God, she has to be eminently qualified. That's my argument. So, yeah. Yeah. I'd say the one thing about the summer league in terms of her winning. Look, summer league. She the team played seven games. They went six and one. You can say that's impressive from a summer league standpoint, but it's it's basically akin to in my opinion, saying that a player who goes on an NCAA tourney run and carries their team, it's like, is that just a hot streak or is that representative of them rising to the occasion for bigger games? And it, it tends to be more the former than it is the latter. So that's the thing. It's just, and you said there's so much we don't know. This is exactly my point. Becky Hammond could be an immensely qualified head coaching candidate. And I have absolutely no doubt in my mind that the t- when the time comes she will be the very first female head coach and she'll be the very first gay head coach, or at least openly gay. Who, who knows about other coaches in the past? But that's the thing. It's just I think it's very awesome to say, and, and this isn't necessarily you, for example, but it's very awesome to say I really want the Knicks to take this leap because of her talent, because of her qualifications, and because of who she is. And I want to be that level of progressive. I just – I Again, I look at the other candidates who are there and I think to myself, if Becky Hammond in a few years, yes, you definitely have to work twice as hard if you are a woman and you a man. But again, that doesn't mean that that the experience is quite there yet. Maybe she's just not ready. Maybe she is. We we don't know. We don't but I'm know. looking but I'm looking at the candidates who the Knicks are going after. And they're all guys who have done this longer than she has. And this being the coaching. Uh, and we, we've seen, too, that there aren't a lot of coaches who are great players and then become great coaches. Again, that's not saying she can't be by any stretch. I think she absolutely could. Can we talk about the reason for that real quick? What is the reason for that? The reason for that was because I think a lot of great players, the game came easy to them. And I think great players, maybe not came easy to them. That's the wrong way of putting it. But like it, they, they were not like, they never had to fight and tooth and claw for every scrap that they got as NBA players, which is why the guys like Udoka, who did have to fight and scrap and claw for every inch they got as NBA players, are your typical candidates. My argument with Hammond is that as a woman, she does like there is a a built-in amount of scrapping and clawing that comes with making it into this profession that had to happen because she is of a different sex than 99% of other people that do it. That's, that's why I think this situation may be different where the great player will make the great head coach. That's, I just want to throw that out there. Yeah. And it's very possible. And I know you talked about the Pau Gasol article and, and I have no doubt that 
how speaks glowingly, glowingly of her and is an embellishing. I'm sure that he's he's very accurate in his portrayal of her. Um, I think it's also very interesting in terms of what he's able to do, where he knows that we know from what Pau Gasol is saying that that words do matter here, right? And I think that it's very important. And I'm, again, I'm sure that he's telling the truth about Becky Hammond, but I think it also is a very complimentary thing for him to be able to say, look, this person deserves a chance to begin with. And if there's anyone who's detracting from that, I'm, I'm only going to make a more glowing recommendation of why she should be here. And I think that that's an important thing to remember. It's not taking away from what she's able to do. It's just he's he's helping her move forward because this is one thing I actually disagree with. I don't think that Becky Hammond coming to New York is a negative thing in terms of PR and media because I think – I don't see it – yes, I think that there will be trolls who will say – who will be more misogynistic, right? But I don't see it as the general portrayal being as such. And in fact, I think it could go the opposite way. I think that there could be a greater concern uh, within the media because she's a spur, because she's a woman, because it's a first time and she's breaking a barrier – I think that she would actually be treated far better because even if things go awry, they could just say, oh, that's just the Knicks. That's not Becky Hammond. That's my point. I think that it's going to be potentially uncomfortable for some people evaluating her because I'm sure that Becky Hammond just wants to be referred to as a coach. And yet I think people are going to write about how or, or at least they're going to struggle with it because they don't want to be perceived as misogynistic in how they approach Becky Hammond's approach to the game. And so I, I think from a PR standpoint, it does help in, in several ways. I, I just feel the jury is out, especially compared with the people who we know are being interviewed, how she is ready and at that point. I think she could definitely get there in a couple of years. We've seen a lot of pops people stay on for five, six years. I mean, Udoka left and he was on the bench for at least six years. Ettore uh, uh, Messino was there for a long time and he finally left after a while. I know Brett Brown was working with the Spurs for a really long time until the Sixers came calling. So these guys, it seems like they just need more seasoning on the Spurs before they jump into their next role. And when I look at the fact that Becky Hammond's been on the bench for, I want to say, about five seasons in the role she's in, um, it just makes me think, okay, well, if if they're all taking the leap at around year seven, that she's close, but maybe she still needs a little bit more time. And then when she gets there, she's a prime candidate. But then you could say, well, she's always been that candidate. It just you, you don't need to wait if you feel like she's that person, the interviewer. And that's why I would say, sure, go right ahead. Interviewer. That's great. Again, I'm just that's I'm, all I want. I just right. give her the give her the interview. Give her an honest shot. Um, all right, we're running low on time here because I have a uh, socially distant barbecue to get to. So let's just talk briefly about some of these other candidates. You want to know who who like from like you just voiced some like concerns about Hammond. Like Mosley is a guy that more worries me because so I'm, I was trying to do some research. Sam um, Amico had a piece on him last year when he was um, interviewing for the Cavs job. Um, and he wrote with the Mavericks, Mosley has held the role of defensive coordinator. He is widely regarded as a player's coach. Um, you know what that? Sounds to me like, uh, oh, here we go. He is said to be laid back enough to keep the peace in the locker room and good enough of a communicator to bring his exes and O's to life. I don't know. Reminded me a lot of David Fisdale. Um, and like Fisdale's another guy who year after year after year made it onto lists of like, this guy's going to be like, he's the, in the, among the hottest head coaching candidates. Um, Mosley has been referred to as like on the hot list of like good, good kind of hot list. Um, for close to a decade, his name first started coming up as like, oh, this is a name to watch, like back in 2012. So, uh, you know, but then again, the same could be said of Tibbs. He was on those lists for a while. It took him a long time and he hit the ground running. So I don't know. That worries me a little bit about Mosley. You you seem to be OK with more OK with Mosley than me. I, I'm i a mixed bag because I, I think the work that he's able to do with Luca is very impressive. And the Knicks could use someone like that, even for lesser talent. But. <laughs> The way that I view it is, you know, he's he's in charge of the defense in a lot of ways, and Mavs defense isn't great. He's analytically driven, but we also heard a lot about that from Fizdale and yeah. the whole <laughs> take that for, for data and and all of that. So it's it's so hard for me to tell. So I don't know enough about Mosley to to really vouch for him. But I also what I do see is a little concerning. So I, I'm 
I'm mixed. It's a mixed bag for me. Yeah. Um, and uh, if we if they hire Mosley, we get to look forward to um, how many uh, years worth of articles about uh, oh, the relationship with Luca. Keep that in your back pocket. He's coming as a free agent someday. Yeah. I, too I, many. <laughs> yeah. One would be too many. One, yeah, exactly. I don't think we need to talk about Delaney just because we don't. It's not really much to know about him um, other than that. he, Like I said, he comes from the Steve Clifford tree. Um, uh, my, let's talk about the two, the two Spurs people. Cause I think those are probably, and, and sorry, I should mention Chris Fleming also, again, we don't really know a whole lot other than that. He was very successful in the German league, one German league coach of the year. Um, let's talk about Udoka and, um, Hardy. It's interesting to me because Udoka by virtue of the fact that he left, and I read something he said, I think, last year when somebody maybe asked him about leaving the Spurs, and it was something along the lines of like, yeah, you know, you got to see other how other people do it or this and that. Interesting that he went to work for someone who learned how to do it from Pop, but that's neither here nor there. It's interesting that he left because that signals to me that he knew he wasn't going to be in the running to succeed pop is am i should i not be making that logical leap as as opposed to hardy who the i forget again where i read it but there seems to be some buzz that maybe he's the guy who is the next in line um for the spurs job so what do you what do you make of those two spurs guys well, I would say that, yes, it's it's very possible that uh, Udoka left because he felt like he wasn't going to be next in line. It's also possible that he thought, you know, there are 30 jobs available and I don't want to wait here until Pop retires. I'd rather put myself in another position and then use that as a stepping stone. So I, I think you can look at it both ways. Um, Hardy, let's just start quickly with him. Hardy's fascinating to me because, I mean, he... He graduated, similar to Alex Klein in, in some ways, he graduated from college and then was instantly hired to an NBA team. Of course, this was a little different, whereas he's more on the coaching side. But, you know, I mean, the fact that he's this young up and coming coach and I think he a lot of the jobs or a lot of the roles that um, that pop gives responsibilities, a lot of them seem to fall on Hardy. I think apparently he's sort of his right hand man, which which is a very great thing. It's really telling. I, I, I now I kind of shift over to Udoka because I think that there's more that we can go off of. And because of that, that's why he he's a preferable candidate to me. So if we're just getting this out of the way, and I know Berman talked about this, but yes, you could say that, oh, for a PR perspective, it's great to hire him. But again, I just said that the Knicks have hired six black head coaches. If you really think that just because of what's going on right now, if anything, it would feel like it's it's almost pandering because it's like, hey, look at look at what we're doing. We're hiring a black coach when it's really just in so many ways the norm for the Knicks. So I don't think PR is a big deal. I think, sure, it could help. Why not? You can't turn away good PR. That's fine. But I don't think that's that's really much of an issue. Um, he, to me, is fascinating because of the connections involved. So we talked about CAA. He does know Alex Klein. Vorkanoff talked about that. Um, just from a, a talent perspective, I really love the fact that he was able to get the Sixers from the 14th best defense last year to the sixth best defense this year. I think it's a great reflection upon what without, he's able to without do. Without Jimmy Butler. That's impressive. Without Jimmy Butler. Yep. He's a Spurs tree guy. I know you talked about in your article with um, with Quinn Snyder, who was part of the the pop coaching tree. Kind of. of course, with the, with kind, the Yeah, too, with the team. Toros, yeah. right. Um, and Oller was with Mike Brown, who came from the Spurs. And then you've got Mike Miller, who could potentially be on staff. It's just really fascinating to me, and I, I do wonder if Udoka is maybe a head coaching candidate and Will Hardy is more of a, hey, if you wanted to leave the Spurs for a promotion and you wanted to be like the associate head coach with Udoka, then that's fine. Again, it kind of goes back to the Fleming idea with Atkinson where maybe some of these guys are being interviewed it's as a favor to them, and they're also trying to do more intel on more serious candidates. So I don't know, but I, I do love the fact that Udoka was a player himself. I think that it's a great thing for him to connect. Like with Fisher, the issue that I think a lot of players had was there wasn't that separation. He didn't take a year or two off. So it just felt like another player coming in and coaching them, but that player isn't 
coaching, whereas you've got this young guy who has been removed from the league for several years and has been trained under one of, if not the best coaches in the NBA. And then he went to another top coach who was also trained by the same great coach. I don't know. It's just, it would signify to me that it's more of a, the Knicks are going younger because if you look at their front office outside of Rose and Perrin, they're going after younger guys. I mean, I think, I believe Oller's in his early forties. Zanon, I believe is around his late thirties or, or he's, he was Kobe's oh, age. So he's probably only early. Perrin is older. Perrin, I, right. I think is, I haven't been able to nail this down, but I, I think he's pushing 70. Yeah. 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 He is. Um, and then you've got Alex Klein, who's 26, where again, I'm not sure what role he'll be playing in terms of the front office, but I think it's just, it would be a very uh, kind of chic or sexy hire to get someone who's on the younger side, where there's a lot more potential there. And this this actually extends to Kenny Atkinson too. Um, but another thing is in terms of his the staff, where I do wonder with Tibbs, because there was the report that he was calling up his own guys saying, hey you know, come on back. We're, we're going to bring the band back together. Yeah. And maybe the Knicks don't want that. Maybe the Knicks want someone who they can kind of, um, assemble themselves and, and they can mold a team or a franchise around that coach and really, um, cultivate something. And that could be something that, that throws Tibbs off a little bit because he likes his guys and maybe the Knicks don't, maybe the Knicks want someone else to be on staff and, um, it, it, they don't want to impose, but at the same time they really do because it, it should be their say. So that that's, kind of why it's almost like process of elimination in some ways, but I think Udoka in his own right is a top candidate for me. Um, I look, I think he's a good candidate. I think honestly, there's things about all of these guys to like, um, and two names that we haven't heard yet. Or, I mean, well, we've heard Ian has referenced them in, in all of his pieces on the, the coaching search, but um, as of right now, Jason Kidd has not got, is not getting an interview and Mark Jackson isn't getting an interview. And I know, um, you know, some folks out there are probably not too happy with uh, Jackson specifically not getting an interview, but let's just say I'm I'm happy they're going in the direction that they seem to be going with these interviews. Um, uh, if it's not, if I don't get my dream come true, if I don't, if it's not Hammond, which again, I, I and again, I I want to be completely transparent. The reason I want Becky Hammond to be the head coach, aside from the fact that I do think she is, or at least it could be argued that she's the best candidate, is I I really would like to see a woman be the coach of the Knicks. I'm I, I'm just going to be honest about that. I, I don't I'm I'm not I don't want to lie, um, and I have my own reasons for that um, that that have nothing to do with basketball. Um, if it's not going to be her, I got to say, man, I I think I maybe now have Tibbs at the top. Um, and I know, and I can't believe I'm saying that. Um, but I just, again, I'm, I'm, I'm always going to be honest on this show. Um, I think that's where I think I've either talked myself into him or I've been talked into him by the different, all the different things that have been said. Um, yeah, I don't know. Um, I don't know. I'm Udoka Tibbs in that order. So I get it. All right. That's hey, Listen. Uh, listen, if it's you, Doka, I'd be happy about that. It'd be really cool. Um, oh, look, my wife is here wearing some kind of a summer dress. Is that a summer dress? Oh, wow. That's great. It's beautiful. Oh, okay. I'm um, sorry. Um, she I'm sure looks great, Dolores. <laughs> no, this is the first time that my wife has been out of pajamas since, I I think, March. Um, so, uh, yeah, it's a big day. Big, big Father's Day here. Um, all right. Anything else we got to say before we get out of here? <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I think that's, I was expecting a very dull week and, um, I was actually writing an article saying like, Oh, nothing's going on right now. And then two hours later, of course, all hell breaks loose in terms of all these head coaches who are interviewing. I'm like, great. I'm just going to delete everything I wrote. So, uh, I'm glad we've had things to happen and hopefully more things do happen. I'm sure things will happen next, this coming week. Well, they're going to do the video, video interviews this week, a few yeah. at least. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's going to be interesting. And then actually we will have, what's today? Today is, uh, June 21st. Doesn't the, uh, we're burying the lead here. Doesn't the transaction window start, um, very soon? Was it the 22nd? I originally it was the 22nd. Hold on. I want to get this out there before we, before we go. 
Um, what happens if I type transaction window into Twitter? What do you think will come up? I'm curious. Probably more soccer. <laughs> really? Yeah. Um, oh, here we go. Uh, it's uh, June 23rd. So Tuesday, okay. starting at noon, um, the league's transaction window will open. Um, and again, to be perfectly clear, um, the Knicks currently do not have a open roster spot. So for them to take advantage of the transaction window, as as me and Jeremy went round and around the Mulberry Bush last week on this show, we think it will entail them having to cut a player, which we think they'll be able to do. Um, although I guess we'll find out if and when they do it. Um, so but yeah, keep in mind teams, the eight teams can make trades because their season's over. I doubt they do, but they with each other player, with each right, other. With each other. They can't trade expiring salary, but I still can't believe you uttered on this show last week that you thought that like the Knicks could. No, you didn't say they could trade like Bobby Portis to a playoff team, but you were like they could cut Bobby Portis and a playoff team could sign him. I still think that's absurd. But that's I just mean, me. If, if a team wanted a big that could shoot from the outside, had a I'm just saying I don't think it's illegal. I think that's not. There's no way that could be allowed. There's zero chance that could be allowed. All right. Well, I hope it happens just to prove you wrong. If that, okay, here's what we're betting. If I'm right and it comes out that that is not allowed, you get me a beer. If it does, if, if it can happen, I don't care if it even does, but if, if the news comes out that a, a non playoff team could cut a player and a playoff team could then put that player on a playoff roster, I will buy you as many drinks as it takes to get you hammered. And I know you're like 120 pounds soaking wet, so it's probably going to be like two beers, but. I will still put the offer on the table. All right. That that works for me. That works? Yes, that does. <laughs> this, this was fun. As my daughter was losing her shit behind us. Anyway, okay. Um, everybody, thank you for listening to another episode of the Next Film School Podcast. We'll have another episode with you or for you uh, at some point this week. And uh, yeah, uh, enjoy, your, um, enjoy your week. And uh, again, belated happy Father's Day. We'll talk to you soon.